This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we talk about all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, we're going to take a trip into found footage territory. And I needed to take this trip with an expert guide. And I'm excited to be joined by Mary Beth McAndrews. Mary Beth is the editor-in-chief at Dread Central and is the co-host of the Scared for Life podcast. Mary Beth has written extensively about all things horror, but has had a focus on the divisive and complex subgenre of found footage horror. Oh, And if that wasn't all enough, she somehow squeezed in co-directing a film as well. Welcome, Mary Beth. Wow, what a great intro. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here talking about found footage, but this movie in particular. So I'm very excited. Yes, yes, yes. So before we get into the film that we're going to be talking about, let's spend a few moments talking about found footage because I think that found footage is such a fascinating brilliant I think format to tell so many different stories but I think it's sometimes misunderstood and not kind of I don't know um not talked about in a way that other I think subgenres are so I was wondering if you could give a little bit of an overview of of what found footage is to you yeah well it's so interesting because the more I've like read about and watched and written about and just everything with found footage is like it's such a hard thing to define because it's not just a subgenre it's like a filmmaking technique because like you can make a full core movie found footage Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting about like the label of found footage but basically it's not just the shaky cam it's defined very aesthetically and very quickly by the shaky cam but what I see found footage as is like horror's way of playing with how we understand truth and like what how 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 can we even for a moment convince people that this might be real because there's something so scary about thinking that that this is real and seeing something done in such an amateur-ish way you're like no one would pay money to make a movie that looks like shit um (laughs) and but within that kind of belief they create they can create these amazing movies and the other I mean the other thing is they're also really easy to make cheaply and which is why there are so many of them because again you can make a found footage movie pretty cheap and a lot of filmmakers will make a found footage movie because they don't don't have a lot of money and that mm-hmm. sometimes I think hurts the genre or the subgenre of a technique because people do it without understanding what they want and understanding the format they're just like oh it's a cheap way to make a movie instead of 
using the format to their advantage instead of just seeing it as a cheap loophole, which I think was the problem for a long time after like, you know, the big boom happened after Cloverfield and Paranormal Activity, like everyone wanted that. And there's, there was a huge boom for a while where there was a lot of stuff that was like, not great. And I think that cheapened it. That's not fair to say. Cause like making a movie is hard. And like, even if it's not a great found footage movie, you still made a movie. But I think there were so many mid ones that it was hard for people to understand. Like there's really good stuff in here. Um, that was my very truncated version of <laughs> talking about. Footage. No, I, in I, I love the way that you kind of broke that down because one of the things I lo- like found footage has always been a really interesting, I think, subgenre because I really get into like what what is the format emphasizing? Like what yeah. is the story being told and why is it being told in this way? Mm-hmm. Because I think as we talk about this film in particular, there's kind of different ways that found footage gets um it is kind of contextualized in these films it isn't yeah i think we typically think of films you know like obviously uh blair witch which is like yeah. you know it's the it's the it's the banner at the altar yeah um, exactly but it you know oh uh you know film found somewhere but it's a lot different than that. And um, the way that it's integrated into stories, and you go, you know, all the way back to like Cannibal Holocaust and how yeah. found <clears throat> footage was utilized as a story mechanism in that film. And people say, well, it is a found footage, but it isn't a found footage because it's only the segments of the film. Um, so, yeah, it's a really complex and I think fascinating subgenre and like you said i think it's something that all the other subgenres can kind of use as its template to tell the story yeah well and then also just like found footage also includes like pseudo documentaries or mockumentaries like if you think about like lake mungo and things like that and then there's also the screen life films like unfriended that i consider found footage And while it doesn't, like, apply to what we're talking about today, it's just, like, found footage is also, like, an umbrella term, I think, too. Like, there's a lot of different kinds of found footage formats that I think fit under the umbrella. Um, At least for me. I think there's, like, there's there's no real rules here. It's all me just, like, making up, like, categories and pretending, like, that's actually, (laughs) like, the rules of the the subgenre. But, like, to me, that's, like, the umbrella of it. And those little, those different kind of, subways of found footage kind of fit in there so but yeah which and like I think the movie we're talking about we can talk a little bit about pseudo documentary too though because I think mm-hmm. it does it's not anyway we won't go there we won't go there <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so okay what before we get into the film you have spent a lot of time writing and talking about found footage mm-hmm. which I think is so important because as we utilize technology phones computers etc in all these different ways like you talked about the screen life um films which i find captivating and like i love them yes it's so interesting and good um what like what has kind of pulled you in to found footage what makes this 
really a, like an appealing place to play for you? So there's a, I got, I really, I've loved found footage since I've started watching horror, like since I was in high school, but I really got into it during the pandemic because I was just like, I watched this above so below. And I was like, I love found footage movies and I'd love to watch this one. And something about that movie, like really captivated me in terms of like this story that could easily be a big budget, like Indiana Jones-esque movie becomes this intimate character portrait of grief and also a terrifying bleak vision of hell. And there's so much creativity in that. And I think what found footage is so, what impresses me so much about found footage is the creativity that you always see, whether you're adapting a new technology like Jerusalem using Google Glass. I think that movie's incredible and slept on. I think using Google Glass as your camera is cool as hell. Yeah, Google Glass is bullshit, but like no one else was experimenting with this. And like Paranormal Activity for I can't remember if it was four or five has the Xbox 360 stuff. I'm like, yeah, that movie might not be great, but like you're using an Xbox 360 motion capture. Like it's just, you see the most creative stuff in found footage from how these stories are integrated to what technologies they're using. I think it's such a really, it's like this experimental subgenre, but also very commercial. And I love that, like how experimental it can be while also creating scary stories that people will like will appeal to wider people so it's just like there's just like I think the coolest stuff is happening in found footage I think the most creative weird stuff is happening in found footage I think if you want to know what people are really thinking about in horror if you look at found footage to me is kind of my thing so well yeah I, I I that's such a great point and I think it always comes back to the unique way that horror is kind of a a place where we can talk about certain things feelings yeah in societal issues and found footage is kind of a neat extension of that because it be it lets us be stewards in a way of a story um in a unique way um and in a very direct way you know we we spend so much time with horror saying you know this really resonated with me because i could you know i could relate i could see myself in in this character but found footage really does put you there and says all right well let's go through this you become a character because the camera's a character and like that is so like i think about it too much and i think it's so cool about like what is my job as the viewer when it's like not that serious like no one really but it's it's. I think it's so interesting the way that like found footage makes you watch it's a like I think about this with paranormal activity all the time like if you're not watching and like actively watching you're gonna miss something because it's all so subtle mm-hmm. and found footage is so subtle a lot of the time that like you have it's like demands your attention you can't passively watch a found footage movie and I think that that's also really interesting to me about how much these movies like only work if you're willing to be actively engaged with them. Mm -hmm. And I think no other, I mean, no other subgenre of horror and horror really does that for me. Um, 
which I think is so interesting. And that's not a dig. It's just like, you know, it's the, the nature of the, of the, of the beast with found footage. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. All right. Wait, so so wait, real quick. Have you like, are you a found footage person? Like, how, do you like found footage? Okay, cool. That's what I thought. Um, Cool. I, I was one of those kids with the Blair Witch poster on the back of their bedroom door. And Hell yeah. I, okay, cool. Yeah, the last broadcast, I was like, let's watch this. It's so cool. This is supposed to be like also very awesome. And yeah, no, I really, cool. I, especially because I think being of a certain age, coming of age in a technology world where we are engaging online we are engaging in in ways that makes found footage connect it's how we're telling stories um i think it is very visceral so yeah paranormal activity i was requesting you know des moines because i was living in iowa at the time i was like yes come to des moines i want to see you and so i went to like a midnight screening um and yeah i I love it. It's it's such like I said. It's 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 a subgenre that has subgenres within itself. It's complex. Yeah, it's interesting, and I think it really does some unique things. So, yeah, I I love found footage. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what film are we talking about today? We so weird. Go ahead. We oh sorry I'm so sorry I <laughs> no no go ahead <laughs> you introduced the film um we are talking about Adam Robitaille's 2014 The Taking of Deborah Logan yeah which everyone knows as having that incredible shot at, towards the end <laughs> where she's a snake <laughs> oh it is something um yes. So this is also one of those films that was released. I don't think it was released theatrically at all. I think it hit streaming and then Mm -hmm. VOD. This was actually a birthday movie for me. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Every year for my birthday, I have a friend who comes over and we eat ice cream and candy and we watch a movie. And we had a 10th birthday, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) that's the best and so we watched the taking of deborah logan we wanted some light fare and also we're like (laughs) oh i think it was around i I think this may have been uh like 31 32 so it's like all right we're getting older let's let's discuss um so yeah um Amazing. And this also, I forgot, this hit Netflix. That's why it got so big, because it got onto Netflix. And that's how I found it, was when it hit Netflix. And it was, like, one of those movies everyone talked about on Netflix, that you're like, you have to watch this movie. And, like, I mean, Netflix is a garbage fire, but their early days, man, they really had some good stuff in the horror section. Like, I found a lot of cool stuff because of, like, that Netflix horror stuff in that section yeah is there some yeah it was definitely a different place because (laughs) you didn't have I think the 
multiple streaming platforms. And so I think there was a different kind of curation and yeah. content there. But no, we we pulled it up on the Netflix. And you're right, it was very talked about because of the image mm-hmm. towards the end, that visual. Yeah. And it is mm-hmm. like it is very intense. But the story that you actually get leading up to that is so interesting and different. And you hit on it, um, and I'm so glad you did, in talking about kind of the mockumentary aspect of found footage. Because it's not just, you know, again, going back to like Blair Witch, they're making a documentary about Burkittsville um, and the myth of the Blair Witch. And so the footage is kind of the unedited pieces of this documentary. Mm-hmm. And here you're getting a more polished and put yeah. together documentary that's also using other things. Um, you know, there's some clips showing some medical background and, and mm-hmm. all that. so um but let's my always other constant co-host, uh Wikipedia has come to <laughs> with the synopsis because again there are some twists and turns here that i think are are good to handle and i was really surprised with this wikipedia synopsis because i thought that it was succinct and surprisingly on point so mia medina gavin and lewis are a team of students who want to create a documentary about deborah logan she's an elderly woman who's been diagnosed with alzheimer's disease and has been living with her daughter, Sarah. As the film crew records her daily life, Sarah starts to exhibit increasingly bizarre actions that her personal physician states are normal for someone with an aggressive form of Alzheimer's. Now, it's important to note, though, at this point, she's diagnosed as being in fairly early stages of the disease. Um, she does have periods of lucidity and doesn't have, you know, all of these, I think, uh, symptoms that we would associate with, you know, later, more progressed uh, Alzheimer's. So she's in early stages. Uh, however, we have cameraman Lewis, and he begins to notice that her actions are beginning to defy normal explanations and expresses concerns that something supernatural is occurring. So he's seeing things on tape that aren't matching with symptoms. Things grow more tense after Lewis and Gavin record audio of Deborah speaking in French, talking about sacrifices and snakes. They notice that the line for 337 at her switchboard continually rings. The line belonged to local physician Henry Desjardins who disappeared after a series of cannibalistic ritualized murders of four young girls. Deborah's behavior becomes so extreme that she is hospitalized for her own safety. Dismayed, Gavin quits the film. Now, one thing here that um, important to point out is that um, Deborah in younger years was a switchboard operator Mm -hmm. and this is important because they often 
make the connection to the switchboard, you know, the cords coming in and out, transferring of information to Alzheimer's. Um, so the others discovered that Desjardins was supposedly trying to recreate an ancient ritual that would make him immortal by, uh, but required the death of five girls that recently had their first period. They wonder whether Deborah is possessed by Desjardins. Sarah, Mia, and Louis discover that Deborah had unsuccessfully tried to abduct uh, Cara Minetti, a young cancer patient. Uh, she's at the hospital at this time. And at this hospital, Harris, uh, Deborah's friend and neighbor, visits her and she begs him to kill her. He tries to comply, but is knocked out by the entity possessing her via flying television. <laughs> Stare, which is such a a moment. Um, it's really, it's quite a moment. Yeah. Uh, Sarah learns from Harris that years ago, Deborah found out that Desjardins planned to use Sarah as the fifth victim. It prompted her, uh, her to murder the doctor before he could accomplish his plan, and she buried his body in the yard. The group finds the body's remains and tries to burn them, but fails. Deborah succeeds in abducting Kara and taking her to the location where Desjardins had killed his previous victims. After discovering Deborah has gone into the mines, Sher uh, Sheriff Linda Tweed falls behind, only to be killed. Sarah and Mia find Deborah as she is trying to swallow Kara's head. In a snake, in a snake-like manner, so mm. like completely unhinged jaw, just yeah. She looks like a snake, like yeah. a full-on like body horror transformation situation. It is, it's and incredible. it is incredible. Um, and one of the I think minor uses of CGI in the film, and used I think mm -hmm. very sparingly. Yeah. So, um. And and I think that really makes it, I think, stand out more. Oh, yeah. um, but they managed to burn Desjardins' co uh, corpse. Sarah and the now reconscious Deborah reunite. The film then cuts. At the very end, we get some news footage of reporters stating that Deborah was <laughs> deemed unfit to stand trial for her crimes and the abduction of Kara her health, you know, now really uh, having deteriorate, deteriorated. And Kara, we see her celebrating her 10th birthday. She has been in remission. And as the reporter begins to wrap up the story, Kara turns to the camera and gives a sinister smile, very much echoing the smile that Deborah uh, I think gave in a couple of moments, implying that now she too has been possessed by Desjardins. So, yeah. So, um, some really interesting things I think play out in this film. Some really interesting themes that hit on uh, disability, uh, in particular. Yeah. Um. We talked a little bit about Alzheimer's um, in the episode covering Relic. Uh, okay. Relic 
Uh, so Relic is, I think, a really outstanding film. Um, again, similar in that it is a story that really does hone in on the experience of the primary caregiver or caregivers, the family mm-hmm. supporting their loved one. Um, but I think that this, the format of using found footage, I think creates a whole different relationship with the topic. Um, yeah. So I want to start there. So we talked a little bit, tell me about, so you said that you first saw this on Netflix. Mm-hmm. What was your initial reaction? So, yeah, I watched this with, he's my my now husband, but we were dating at the time and we watched this and I was like, he, he is not a fan of movies where the monster is an old person who has a progressive illness because, um, my mother-in-law, his mom has Parkinson's. So like we're, so we're, we're, we're a little bit sensitive. So like as context, like we're a little bit more sensitive about movies that deal with older people and degenerative illnesses and how that is portrayed as monstrosity, just because like, you know, we have a more direct experience with that. So we watched this movie and I've always had really mixed feelings about it Mm -hmm. because I think I think it tries to tell a really honest, really hard to watch story about caregiving and about dementia. But I also think it then sensationalizes it and makes it like, but the source is actually a possession of an evil, of a spirit that's also like potentially rooted in indigenous magic. And that's a whole other issue that is a whole other thing. And that bothers me. So it's like, it's a hard thing to parse because I understand wanting to like, take terrible things in life like dementia and try to give it a more like kind of try to understand it and put something a little bit more like understandable behind it and try to like because I, I think Robitel made this after his grandmother contracted dementia and I think it's like you know a way of trying to process it mm-hmm. but on the other hand I think it is a little bit like squicky you know yeah like in terms of It just it feels it feels exploitative sometimes in this movie because it, fe- it because I think it's trying to feel like an exploitative TLC documentary, especially at the beginning. Yeah. You know, like those those health shows that are like, mm-hmm. look at this person who has this horrible illness, like feel pity for them and the person that can- it's like a very patronizing tone. And I think this movie hits that tone really well and it makes me super uncomfortable even though I know it's fictional it just it does that so well that I'm like ooh, I don't especially when you're seeing these really awful moments of Deborah having panic attacks not knowing where she is like her daughter Sarah trying to like calm her down and hold her and it just it feels like a documentary camera should not be here. Like this just feels like there's like a lot of weird ethical questions. And I think that the movie is do is working with that in a really interesting way, but I, I don't, I don't know. It, this is a movie where I don't have an answer about how I fully feel about it, but I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it doesn't have an easy answer for me. I don't know about you and how you, I'm curious how you feel about it too. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I mean, I agree 
and that you know being someone with a disability and also working in caregiving um yeah i <laughs> like it's it's hard because yes um you know especially with this film you don't you don't want to sanitize yeah experiences of individuals living with any kind of condition you want to be able to tell the story authentically um and through a lens that you know i i'm glad that you said the word patronizing because i think it is a way to it takes the viewer out of it 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 becomes almost performative in a way and it's not just a depiction of someone living with a condition so that we can understand it becomes kind of manipulated in a way well there's like the piano music at the beginning and like again this is at the beginning when they think they're just making a medical documentary but they have this like delicate piano music as she's talking about the effect she had on the town as when she was a young woman and the tragedy and it, it just it I, it is it's weird and it's interesting because I know that the like in this movie you know that they're characters but they're it's like they're making a character out of the character which yeah. again reflects those really shitty reality shows about medical stuff where like they make people so exaggerated that they don't feel real and like that the otherness that they're already probably feeling from their experience is just heightened by making them like some weird anomaly and I think again this this movie plays with that manipulation really well about like but then I think it's so interesting how it goes oh and she is a really weird anomaly look she's actually a snake demon and it's just very interesting how it progresses with that whole thing it's very interesting to me like what Robitel is playing with here and how he uses the found footage to make a really weird thing and I mean that in a good way I mean that in a good way it's just like yeah. it's, it's more complicated than I think people give it credit for for sure yeah I, I agree I think it, it you're exactly right in that it does I think dance on this line which we we do that dance when we watch you know like those TLC yeah. shows or you know whatever documentary may pop up that we're watching um and to me you know i think part of the performative aspect that it can sometimes lean into is that it's not about the disease it's about the symptoms it's not about the person it's about the symptoms it's about let's exaggerate and tell the story Mm -hmm. by emphasizing these things and you see this particularly with I, I think now we're starting to see more stories like this that are talking about Alzheimer's dementia and lots of other conditions um that we mostly see uh in individuals of an advanced age because our demographics are changing um mm-hmm. and so people are living longer we have a very large aging population right now yeah and so 
we I think we're struggling with this idea of for those of us that are maybe just outside of that our fears of aging our fears of of these things happening to us and Alzheimer's is such a shorthand way to do that because it does occur within a family line and there's a throwaway line about it um in this yeah where i think the doctor mentioned something to sarah about you know uh are you are you afraid of this happening to you um or something along those lines and you know it, it we've talked before on the pot about kind of this intersection of ageism and ableism um and where you know a lot of the i think discrimination that folks experience in both of those pockets are very similar um yeah it's diminishing i think the experience of a condition or disease and it's diminishing kind of capacities um of an yeah. individual and there's often like infantilization that goes into that um and again it becomes more about the the disease the per the symptoms and not about the person and it's all i think very uh complex and and you're right in that um you know this film does kind of make you struggle with where where certain yeah. things fall well and I, we don't I also this movie I vacillate to because we don't see a lot of older bodies in horror I think there's you know there's hag exploitation sometimes like a lot of the time where it's like an evil gross witch but we don't like have a lot of older care like older characters especially older women who are like more complicated and like the like in and I thought about Relic a lot while watching this because I don't think I've watched this since I've seen Relic and and so it was like this interesting thing of like I love how we're focusing on older women but also like we are kind of othering them in a way and yeah. and in this movie like we make a spectacle of her naked body you know what I mean and it's like and I understand like so as we talked about with like when x came out people were like oh my god an old naked body it's so scary and it's kind of ridiculous to me but whatever that's a different conversation mm -hmm. but like there is something I guess like scary about nudity and old people and the old like her body being out of control and I think I really do love Jill Larson's performance as Deborah Logan. I think she tries really hard to give yeah. Deborah humanity. And that's why I struggle because there is so there are so many really awesome moments where like you see Deborah trying to have agency because like when she's like, please kill me, like she's true, you can see there's agency in here, but it's again mm -hmm. a movie about her losing agency for so many different reasons between Alzheimer's and a possession. And I think this movie is, again, complicated in that kind of, maybe it's, I think there could be even more 
talking about that loss of agency, which was, I think, which made this movie even more fascinating is delving further into that because there is that horror of losing agency with having a degenerative ill, like um, neurological illness. And I think this movie is grappling with that in a really interesting way. Again, mm. on rewatch, I think it's trying to, it doesn't necessarily, I think again, it does lean more into spectacle a lot of the time because again it's a horror movie we want people to be scared we want people to like talk about it and not just think about this as a sad dementia movie but I do think he again like this is like repeating it but there's like an attempt here to really try to imbue that in the movie I don't know if it's always successful but I see it and for 2014 especially like I know it's not that long ago but like horror has changed a lot since 2014 I feel like so it's really interesting to see how there are these moments of trying to give Deborah age, like show her trying to grapple with her agency and not just having her be like the scary old naked lady running through the house. Like I, there, there's like a push and pull with this movie with that. And I think that is so interesting. Like I can't just write it off as like, you're making her scary. Cause I think they try to also make her a person. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I want to hit on something that you said because it's a really interesting thing that I always think about. You you mentioned hagploitation and the way that older individuals are specifically in horror films portrayed. One of the things in going back and like watching lots of movies, especially as someone that's, you know, a little bit older and I've seen more. Um, so, you know, going back and even watching movies that I did as a kid. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I find so much of these films coded um, about disability disease. Yes. Um, and every witch character ever is just everyone's fear about getting old and ugly. And like, <laughs> like it's exactly. anyway. Sorry. And if you do, like, you dig into, like, the the background of, like, the witch trials and you realize that it was linked to people acting a certain way because of a certain thing. It wasn't witchcraft. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's, it, it becomes, I think, really shorthand to connect, again, that to bring us to that intersection of ageism and ableism. We want people yeah. to be afraid of old folks. Old folks act erratic and strange and something that happens to us all. So fear that. And um, it's just, it, it, it becomes, I think, really messy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, messy, but you know, it's, I, I like I said, I think it's, expressing natural fears that we do have no one wants to um you know go through alzheimer's experience alzheimer's and and experience having someone um with alzheimer's uh the possession angle too so you know kind of connected with exploitation especially the witch piece um you know when you hear people talk about Alzheimer's, they often hear about, you know, their loved one becoming someone different. Um, you know, they lost their their mom. 
their grandmother, their grandfather, their aunt, their uncle, whomever. They become someone different. And that's possession, right? Like, that's what yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a disease possessing you as opposed to a murderous doctor who also had a degenerative disease. He had ALS. So it's just like, it's a what the fuck tiramisu of how do we go through all of this and separate it because we can't. Yeah, exactly. That, that's like the best, like, it's the best way to talk about it. Cause I think it's like a lot of these movies are people just like parsing out their own feelings and like, yeah. And like trying to, trying to tell the story and being honest to their story while also like giving it a, a horrendous angle because if you can distance yourself from it a little bit maybe you can have catharsis maybe yeah. so it's like it's just like it is really interesting like what this movie is doing and trying to find because again when I interviewed him and he was like this is about my grandma and like that yeah. why it's clicked a lot for me I was like he's just trying to fucking process what happened to his grandmother and it's like it's terrifying and like yeah it would be really cool and I mean one day I would love to have a movie from the perspective of someone who had like a horror movie from someone who has it and they're not just they're not just being watched but like they're the main character but again like it's different because again a lot of these movies are coming from a caregiving perspective because a lot of like a lot of caregivers are trying to process their own experience giving a caregiver its own very traumatic series of events that like this movie I think because the documentary topic in this in that this movie is covering is actually this the physiological effects on the caregiver which I think is really it like very explicitly is like oh we want to know what happens when like you are so stressed and I think that makes a really interesting layered movie not just about Deborah but about Sarah and I love I want to talk more about Sarah's character because I love Sarah in this movie and I think she's a really fascinating character and mm-hmm. I yes. just this movie is just like this discussion making me like this movie even more and be like it's just like it's a yeah it's messy but it a a movie being messy doesn't make it bad it just makes it trying to do something different I think yeah and that's like that's that's the stamp when yeah I've said this I think at least a thousand times (laughs) never whenever I think I say oh this is maybe you know an interesting portrayal of this or ah, we're getting into some to some territory here that doesn't always mean it's bad and exactly it just means like and i love how you piece it together with having to process um and go through your own feelings you know read a diary diaries are messy because it's throwing out your thoughts and your feelings and usually doing that under the context of i'm not necessarily censoring or understand how to censor the way yeah um and i think um the the filmmaker of relic also made that yeah as kind of speaking about that experience of caring for someone going through 
uh, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I can't but, remember, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's processing and it's important. Caregiver burnout is a huge thing. Um, one of the things that I talk a lot about to family caregivers is dealing with complex emotions because, and this I think is really, as we're talking about Sarah and we can talk about her situation, which I think is so deeply fascinating. Um, caregivers are not only dealing with kind of the physical, mental, and emotional kind of work of caring for their loved one with a condition. Mm -hmm. It's processing these really challenging thoughts, feelings, and emotions that can pop up of, you know, uh, when I was caring for my grandpa with bone cancer, I remember getting really, really angry with him because he wouldn't take medications and he wouldn't eat. And, you know, he, he would always give me guff for not taking my medications or not hooking up to my feeding machine or whatever. And it's like, all right, so we're going to play this game. We'll play. Um, like I'm the captain now and <laughs> you let's figure this out. Like what is going yeah. on? And we took a journey and we figured out it was his medications that was making him feel really nauseous and gross. Mm. And so like, all right, well, let's talk to the doctor and see if they can give you something that will help with that. Um, you know, we can can check that off that's that's okay and then um you know eating was continually still an issue um because it just hurt and so we decided to like really focus on getting him to drink like those supplemental oh yeah and so he and so I had actually given him a can of what I had used for my feedings. And he's like, well, this is disgusting. And I'm like, I know. So what do we do? So we made ice cream shakes with it. And mm-hmm. so he was able to, to do that. And so, but I was so mad and just frustrated. And I felt horrible because it's like, I know it's not his fault. I I know he's just uncomfortable, but why won't this asshole do what the doctor says? Like, why? He's telling me to do what my doctor says. Why? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I so dealing with these complex emotions, like you said, I think part of this unpacking and what makes it messy is that it's like that's those are the twines to it i think is we feel guilt we feel um you know we talk about when caregiving ends when a loved one passes and that sense of you know obviously sadness but also relief of like not only is my loved one not in pain anymore or struggling i now have 
part of my life back too. Yeah. So it's, it's all difficult. And so I want to talk about uh, Sarah and kind of the components of caregiving in this film. So like you mentioned, um, you know, the, the real emphasis on this film, and we get it from the very start, because I think Mia frames it as, know really looking at the impact of this disease and caring for the mom on sarah and mm-hmm. sarah is a very unique character she is queer um yes and yeah. we love that and we get to see a component of how that's impacted her relationship with her mom and i think that's done in a really kind of beautiful authentic way yeah interesting i i go back and forth with that a little bit um some like and also so actually um joshua anderson wrote a really good article for dread central about uh this movie and about sarah's character which made me really love sarah's character more and like so that kind of informs a little bit of my opinion with this, but like Sarah's a queer woman who has a girlfriend who is, she's lying to, and she's like trying to make it all work. And obviously her and her mom have a pretty rocky past. I mean, her mom makes comments like, is that like, she makes the comments that all like weird moms make about like, not necessarily like outwardly homophobic, but like you never do your nails or like, yeah. Don't you have a blouse you could wear? Like, m- like remarking upon like a more masculine presentation and how. And Sarah also shares that she was caught kissing a girl in her in their backyard, and she was sent off to a boarding school. And then we later learn that Sarah was actually sent off to a boarding school because her mom was trying to save her life. Yeah, which i love that like i do love that but part of me is gets a little bit frustrated where like are we just trying to erase homophobia and like maybe that is me like that is me over like looking too into it but sometimes i get frustrated when it's like at the very end it's like but no actually she wasn't at all but then like why do you have her being a little bit homophobic at the beginning so i don't i'm not necessarily saying it's trying to erase the homophobia but i think it it is trying to have this authentic moment between the mother and daughter that like, I do appreciate, but I do think it is a little bit messy in terms of what it's trying to say about their relationship. And again, I can't expect this movie is doing a lot. Like this movie did not have to have a queer character. And like, I do appreciate having like a complex kind of messy lesbian in a, in a, again, in 2014, when we don't get a lot of complex queer characters who also survive until the end. Like, yeah. She's a lesbian who's a main character who survives till the end. And like, that doesn't happen like ever. So I love that. And I, she's unabashedly queer. Like they don't, they make, they make it very obvious. And so I love that. I think it just, you know, again, it's a little bit messy in the landing and execution of all of the themes, but I also respect having a queer woman be the anchor of your movie you know so it's like again with this movie being like it doesn't always stick the landing but like it is doing some really cool stuff in trying to have these conversations and like 
I can't fault, you know, it's like, I, I like as a queer woman myself, it's like, I appreciate seeing a queer woman struggling with her mom and like trying to figure out how to be a caregiver to a woman who she thinks hates her. And we obviously know that Deborah doesn't hate her at all, but you see that what is so authentic to me in this movie is that kind of push and pull of like, she, my mom hates me, but it's like, no, she doesn't. She just, she loves you, but doesn't know how to tell you. And yeah. that is authentic to me too, of just like parents not knowing how to say they love you in ways that you understand. Like, I don't know. I think it is really interesting in how it's trying to deal with that mother-daughter, like the co- complexities of mother-daughter relationships as 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 a lot of people know. <laughs> yeah. No, and I hadn't, I hadn't really pieced through all I really love the way that you kind of broke it down in terms of um you know kind of the erasure of the homophobia by saying well but she was actually doing this because again that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with the possession of well it's not really the disease it's this but really is a disease BT yeah it's like nothing really yeah <laughs> Um, her health still goes to the it like goes downhill like it's still bad yeah exactly yeah like uh still the same um and so yeah sending your kid off to boarding camp uh still kind of the same especially when it's not contextualized for them um yeah exactly and yeah i get it you can't fucking tell your kid like i was trying to save you from a snake demon like i understand that but you know yeah there was (laughs) was a guy who wanted to kill you possessed snake demon stuff so you're going to camp um you can't like that's not a conversation and she was young like around she was 10 yeah like so this girl this woman has endured like a lot of trauma around her and the thing is like if she was already feeling that shame at 10, even if her mom didn't mean for it to be shame. And again, I am digging deeper into a character. We are not given this, but like there is like, as a kid who like, I was lucky and, you know, I didn't, I had a different experience with like my queerness, but when you're like made to be ashamed of yourself at the age of 10 and we see her as an alcoholic drinking and not like you know having a bit of like a hard time it's like well now we like you can kind of see like maybe how that shame translated and like yeah our mother was trying to protect her but like look at what that manifested as and again that's a lot of digging into things that aren't necessarily on screen but I think just from like people I know who have experienced that like that's definitely an undercurrent no it's interesting yeah no, I that 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 is I think a really interesting piece to it of kind of the one one thing and and I think we we kind of said it but you said something just now that really pinged it in my brain is this idea of sin mm-hmm. because um one of the the things that I've talked about before, I think in the episode where I talked about Carrie, is this connection of sin and illness or sin and yeah. otherness. And so you see um, this kind of play out 
in a lot of these kinds of films where you're dealing with an illness, where it's some kind of past transgression that is connected somehow, um, you know, it's a very indirect way of saying, yeah, you got this disease, but it's because you did this thing. That I, I just, I feel like it's always that like punishment, illness is punishment kind of situation. Exactly. And so I think, you know, to what you're saying <laughs> about Sarah and her drinking, um, she, you know, it's where, you know, is this because of the stress of caring for her mom? Is it guilt? Is it like, what is all of it stemming from? And again, we get to the messiness. It's probably columns all A through F. So, um, yeah, it's so complex and interesting in that way. And I think that that's kind of why I I, I find it fascinating and yeah. compelling because it isn't, it doesn't just sit on one track. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's not just it's hard to be a caregiver. It's like, it's hard to be a caregiver when you have decades of emotional baggage with your parent. And I think that is so much more authentic to the caregiving experience from um, like friends I have that have had that experience of like, it's not just caregiving. It's like also reckoning with decades of maybe unresolved trauma that the parent like enacted upon you. And like, now you're caring for them. And how do you like like you were talking about big emotions, like how do you have all of these emotions at once? And it's like, yeah, no one, you know, everyone just kind of has their own very emotional, I feel like subjective experiences with caregiving because of like your own complicated relationship with the person you're caring for. Because so often it's someone that you have a lot of history with. Sure. And I think this movie also does integrate that in a really interesting way that shows like, it's not just the stress of caregiving, it's the stress of like, trying to rectify years of like resentment on top of making sure this person has a comfortable life because you love them but like what does love mean and I like you know like what does love mean and what does love look like and I think this movie kind of shows that in a really interesting way about like what love can look like and care yeah no yes I agree and of course it you know Sarah is an only child so Mm -hmm. I think that to what you're talking about um you know caregivers don't necessarily pick that role um it happens yeah that's the other thing it is like not always something that you pick and so then you're figuring out okay well here's this person that I have this relationship with sometimes it's a really good relationship you have a great relationship with uh you know a a parent grandparent uh whomever you're caring for um and that's fine but often it's never as clean cut as that and sometimes you have a really not so great relationship with someone who is now going to depend on you for that care and support and how do you how do you put that in a jar to be able to do the tasks at hand 
And also like respecting your own emotions, but trying to, it's like this really difficult and slightly impossible feeling like holding of multiple things at once and trying to both like respect your emotions while also being like the grown up in the scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I I think this movie also hits on like trying to be the grown up. Like Sarah running around like swigging like vodka out of a flask and like chain smoking cigarettes. Like that would be me honestly caregiving mm-hmm. for my mom. Like even if she wasn't like I would just like you become just like survival mode. And I think this movie mm-hmm. also like represents survival mode of like <laughs> she's not doing great but she's trying you know like yeah it doesn't look great but like she's doing her fucking best man like she's really doing what she can for a mom who is doing some crazy shit and it the they do i think this movie does a good good job balancing that of like that love and also just exhaustion and yeah decision making that you have to make and like talking to doctors and being like I don't know what the fuck you're telling me dude like can you speak English like I keep saying this but this movie should get more props for how much it is trying to juggle and how much it juggles relatively successfully yeah especially sorry to be this way but like a movie by a guy making a movie like this that's kind of like a matriarchal kind of movie about like women and matriarchy pretty fucking impressive yeah no (laughs) i I could not agree more. Um, oh, and then sorry, before Sarah, shout out to Anne Ramsey as Sarah. Anne Ramsey's incredible. She was in Brooklyn 45 this year. Yeah. And if she's incredible in this movie as Sarah, I just love her as this like lesbian, like qu- like more masculine coded lesbian character. She's just so good in this movie. I really love her. She's so. fantastic. And I love her. I'm a fan of Dexter. Season three, Ellen Wolf. I forgot she was in Dexter. Oh my god. I forgot. As Ellen Wolf. Because again, I mean the the acting in this movie I think is very good. Um I have some like Harris is kind of here nor there to me um oh more of a plot device um as the neighbor but i i think the people that are there the filmmakers mia in particular i think that she's really interesting um and played incredibly well um but yeah i Anne has i think this unique skill of really just living in lots of different things at once and letting it be kind of an authentic extension of a performance. It's really interesting to see because you don't understand that it's not something that's super, you know, everyone's got it until you see it and you're like, wow, this is just a really naturalistic kind of, I understood all kind of the bits and bobs of what this character is experiencing because you were able to make it subtle and lived in yeah well and it's hard in found footage sometimes too when like it's a person actor you know because it's harder to be like this is a documentary about a person not a person playing it's like it's it's a little bit harder to have that like separation but still Mm -hmm. she really like like you said lives in that character and makes her feel like a real like it doesn't 
so often in found footage, it's hard to have that authenticity, but Ramsey really gives that authenticity. And Jill Larson, the two of them together really like have a really authentic relationship in the way they interact. Like it doesn't, it feels like a documentary about them, even though we know they're actors. Like I like how their chemistry works together where it's like, you can forget for a second that they're actors. Like it feels like they are a mother daughter relationship. So I always appreciate that in a found footage movie. Yes. So you mentioned just a few seconds ago, I want to go back to it. You mentioned matriarchy Mm -hmm. in this film. So explain, kind of explain where your head is with that. Yeah. So, and that kind of hit me watching it, rewatching it yesterday in that like, yes, we have male characters in this movie and like DeHardine is the bad guy, but this is about, like I almost, I see, and I, I see this as about like three generations of women trying to parse things together. Mm-hmm. And I see obviously Deborah as the older generation. And then I see Sarah, and then I see Mia. I think Mia to me is this younger generation with technology coming in and trying to put a more, like trying to have a more objective way of parsing through these emotions. Mm-hmm. And how do we capture that? How can we like, more sub like objectively document this because like whose PhD film like thesis is a film you know what I mean like what the hell is this and I love that like suspending disbelief for whatever PhD she's getting with a like film like this I I see this as like the this is a story about these three women trying to figure out what's going on but then you know trying to fight back against patriarchy if you really want to get deep like we see Henri killing young women for his own gain mm-hmm. and Sarah and Deborah and Mia all fighting back against him and it, and you know the ending obviously like he possesses a young girl and that's a whole other fucking thing but like these generations of women coming together almost to fight off an evil man who is exploiting young bodies for his own personal selfish gain I think it's a really interesting way of looking at this movie and like the the cameramen we barely see them but like they're a little bit useless like they're kind of a, like they're the scaredy cats um the neighbor is kind of useless too but like all of the doctors are women and I just I don't know if it was intentional but there is this like really awesome matriarchal vibe of like women getting shit done and men kind of being in the background and like DeHardine wouldn't have been stopped if Sarah if oh not Sarah if Deborah hadn't been like go fuck yourself you know what I mean like no one and like they're the ones these women are the ones that burn the body and like there's a female police officer and like yes she dies but like all of these really badass characters in this movie are women and I think it's such an interesting look at that like female characters a matri- like matriarchal societies and women kind of getting shit done and I just think this movie kind of I don't even know intentionally plays with that but I really like seeing the movie that way which kind of hit me last night while I was watching it yeah I agree I mean it is interesting yeah. that the the framework of the story is a man who uses female bodies Mm -hmm. um, through because he's scared of aging and he's scared of disability and he is scared of death and in the 
nothing is worth and this is I got to mention this like I think this movie also hits on like people's biggest fear of being disabled like nothing is worse than being disabled so I will kill five young girls so I will not have a disability and I won't die and I think that's also so interesting how like disability seems to be like and I it is ter- like some degenerative, especially like neurological degenerative diseases are very, are awful, but it's just very interesting that like, it's so scary that you resort to, to cannibalistic, ritualistic murder of children to avoid it at all costs. It's just, that is also an interesting. Yeah. 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 It's, and then <laughs> you mentioned um, with Kara, Kara's a cancer patient a child with leukemia who I don't think had a great prognosis no I don't think she did I think she was like really really sick and they were like Mm-mm. yeah like I think we were talking more of a terminal situation because when she does a turnaround because now she's inhabited by Ajardin, um that's what the ending implies she's cured so again, it's about this errata, like like you were saying, the eradication of illness as opposed to an understanding of it. Um, yeah, and I also think there's an angle of like we're so scared of illness that we'd rather be possessed by a demon than like confront it. Too maybe yeah. like I think there's an interesting and again like it's not fully there, but there is something interesting about. Like, you would really rather do all of that than, like, confront your own humanity. And I think a, a lot of people would do, like, I don't know. And I think it's that's interesting. And it, it's interesting that it ends with a young girl, too. You know what I mean? Like, he finally possess, like, he possesses the body of, a, or possess, maybe possesses the body of a young girl. And it's just weird. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a thing. And I, you know, a question that... I think folks with disabilities, and I know I have been at at pretty much all stages of life, have been, well, if you could take a pill and you wouldn't have your disease, uh, would you? And I'm like, well, that's not happening. So what's the question? Yeah. What a weird, what a basic question to ask somebody to, like, Jesus Christ. Well, and I think that, I don't know. I always, it's a difficult thing because when I've gotten into like some real nitty gritty conversations about this with with folks, they're like, oh, so you don't think that we should be trying to cure certain diseases? I'm like, no, this is very much like if you've seen the meme, like, you asked me about pancakes and suddenly you're making an assumption about my feelings on waffles when waffles were never <laughs> even part of the equation. So what are we even doing? Um, so no, it's like, no, but you're asking me to think about myself. Like I was born with my disability. It's something that I've always known I've had. Yeah. And like, are you it's saying like- that that's a that's a defining trait of me but that's what makes me me to what degree um like it's just it's very it's like no and also no there's no pill 
that no. does that. So don't ask a question of a hypothetical that's too messy to yeah. get apart. Um, yeah. And so when we talk about like cures and cures being like, I always get really annoyed too when, especially with films where someone has a mobility issue or is paralyzed in some way and they're possessed and suddenly a broken spine doesn't matter. Um, the devil fixed my vertebrae. Thanks, yeah. devil. Like, why is the devil doing this, but God not? Like, what what are we trying to communicate here? Why is the devil being like, well, I care about healthcare? Um, <laughs> like, no, we don't. Like, what are we even saying with some of this stuff? And it's that's why it's like people aren't thinking of you know. It's like no one knows. They're just like, look, you would you want access? You want to be able to walk again? So we'll just have the devil give you your legs back. Like that's it. That's probably so the there are all process. people now that walk. Satan yep like like are <laughs> yep. like, the you know what like come on like this is why I always am just like Ugh. um but yeah and this I is mean, why you have a podcast <laughs> yeah it's just it's so strange and interesting yeah but it's just strange and people don't really dig into that um again it always comes down to just this general idea of well if there's a cure that's the thing and it's like well but not all conditions live in that way um lots of people can live long normal lives with a chronic condition there's different things that shape day-to-day life and instead of uh you know, uh, rituals and demons. Um, how about ramps? How about like we figure out as a society to be like, you know what? It's it's all right. We need to figure this out more. We need to figure out what we as a society, as communities, can do to understand and shift away from kind of this ableist structure yeah. that we have. Um, and again, I think it is all, it does have a root in religion and of illness and sin. And so it's like, well, if it's sin, it's bad and we have to cast it out. We have to do something, um, to get rid of it. Well, and also just like the inability in religion to like, think like maybe like the way that life is, is just like, sometimes these things happen and you just deal with it rather than like, you must have sinned to be born with this. And it's like, or your mother must have sinned to be born with it. It's like, no, like sometimes people are just born with disabilities and that's just like, we should just care for them and not try to look for some weird otherworldly explanation. Like, yeah, like it happens. It happens we and it's fine there's still people like normal people it's fine guys but that's what i find especially interesting in dealing with films like this because you are you're dealing with a condition that does have roots of kind of a hereditary nature yeah Um, if you have a lineage of individuals that have had alzheimer's there you know there are conversations that you're healthcare providers are probably having with you about you know yeah 
we should probably oh, yeah. see if you have this I have I have a friend who's dealing with this right now like not Alzheimer's but her mom had a very rare form of cancer and now she has to go through a lot of testing and surgeries to make sure she doesn't get it and it's just like it's it's scary I mean like it's on one hand we are very lucky as a society and she we are very lucky to be able to have access to that but also like Jesus Christ like that is terrifying too of just like hereditary like just thinking and that on a lot of it there's a lot of like again moms passing things down to daughters like the mm-hmm. my, what my friend is getting tested for it's like a uterine type of cancer so it's like very much based on people with uteruses so it's just like that is very matriarchal and like thinking about that and how sometimes it's diseases passed from mom to daughter and it's just like oh it's just ugh. yeah it's hot it's scary it's scary I mean like it's fucking scary like plain and simple like your body I think people are so scared of their bodies and that's why they're such a subject of horror like there's so much we don't know about what's going on in our bodies or like what could be you know lurking sounds so like so sensationalist but like you know as you as you as you grow older like what could happen and it, it is like it is scary and this is a movie trying to like deal with that in a really interesting way like that fear of what your body could do to you I guess yeah. And I, you know, going back to what you were saying about, you know, the director being a man, but dealing with kind of truly a progression of this yeah. slash possession through women um, and using that to kind of mimic his own, I think, difficulties unpacking his own caregiving experience and situation it's an interesting way and um you know i think hits on so much of what we've talked about of just a general way that we think about (laughs) certain diseases and conditions um i will say that uh statistically even though um the amount of male individuals um that identify as a family caregiver has certainly increased um in recent times uh there is still uh, a higher percentage of women who take on the role of primary caregiver and um so i don't know there's just a lot a lot there and i think you you said it so succinctly and perfectly with it's a film that wants to do a lot with the story and find ways to communicate things, I think, without going too far in any direction, but just letting it be a very kind of natural story, which I think feeds into the found footage format. So yeah. Beautifully. Yeah. So. I like this movie even more now that we've talked about it, I think. Yeah. I, I think so. I always feel yeah. that way, too. Yeah. One thing, and if you don't want to to share anything or or go into this topic, absolutely fine. Um, but you know, you did share that your husband's um mother has Parkinson's, um, and again, a condition seen most often with people who are getting um up to a certain age um 
presents with some mobility issues, some uh, neurological impacts as well. And watching this, um, <laughs> how did you feel like there were certain things that spoke to your and your husband's kind of unique caregiving situation? So I, I will say that, um, Steve's, Steve's dad, my father-in-law is like the primary caregiver. Um, and so we live close by, but like his father is the primary caregiver. He takes care of her, takes her to like physical therapy appointments and things like that. So we're not primary caregivers, um, just to put, yeah. Um, we offer support when we can, but his dad is very stubborn and likes to do things their way. Um, <laughs> but um, I think... Parkinson's is very is is very different from Alzheimer's in terms of its progression and like we're also very lucky that she caught it early and she is on a great medication regimen and like she has a good prognosis right now there's no cure for it it is progressive but like you know she's doing really well right now I think what is hard watching this movie is just thinking about the future and how scary that is um mostly for Steve my husband like you know he doesn't like the movie to visit for similar reasons and like you know just I think it's just the prospect right now like we're because I think before we weren't sure it was more it was like early when we had first it was diagnosed like 10 years ago and so now it's a little bit more she's doing really well but it is I think watching movies like this and seeing what ha like what goes on with families and other experiences we've had with everything it's just like it's a hard reminder of and again Parkinson's and Alzheimer's are very different but it is like a hard kind of reminder and a sad reminder but also like to see that and like especially the beginning parts where we don't know it's supernatural in this movie where it's like just a lot of stubborn parents not wanting to listen to you that is very it's difficult because it, it does speak to the reality of it and I think it is just like harder to watch these things when parent like older parents are ill because it's just like it brings to mind mortality in a way like parental mortality in a way that I think we're just now reckoning with in our age like where, where we're at in our age and our lives it's just like it's a hard thing to start reckoning with I think um and then after we've had and then now watching this after I've had one of my very close friends be a caregiver for both of her parents it's just like I appreciate what this movie is doing and also it's harder to watch just like again knowing people that have had these ex like very like hard experiences like it's heartbreaking and hard to watch and then I get mad I'm like it wasn't a monster it was cancer and like I wish it would have just been a monster we could vanquish but that's also just me you know what I but like I think we don't get we have and like watching this again I was like we don't actually see a lot of really interesting good movies about caregiving and like it's like this and Relic and maybe others I can't think of off the top of my head and you might know more than I do about like caregiving horror but like it's hard to make it not exploitative and that's why I appreciate this and Relic in terms of trying to walk that balance yeah. of exploiting the illness versus using it as a cathartic kind of coping tool yeah 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 no I appreciate you sharing that because I think yeah it's 
part of what makes talking about these films really interesting is that there are these films that we do have these takeaways that really sit with us and kind of stick to our ribs because it's part of a, an experience that we have that we're familiar with that we're kind of in the thick of and it makes it interesting and it can make it difficult to watch because like you said um you know the interesting thing about caregiving is that caregiving impacts everyone at some point in their life mm-hmm. um and it is something that any film that's dealing with you know like you said aging parents and that kind of mortality and illness is you know no one wants it i think regardless of what your relationship is with your parent it does make you think just about then your own mortality and it's like well if my parents are of this age and this is what their experience is you know i'm not a fucking toddler anymore so what's on yeah what's on the agenda for me um and it's it's also just like and this movie captures it too just like having to parent your parent is really hard and having to like have hard conversations with your parent yeah and having to like be the bad guy is also like a thing that we have dealt with that this movie deals with I think in a really you know like that way of trying to put your foot down with your mom yeah and she's like but I'm your mom and it's like yeah but you're not making good decisions for yourself and like how do you tell your parent they're not making good decisions for themselves which is like one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had in my in my my life so far so like it's it's a weird experience to like tell a parent like you need to take fucking care of yourself like what are you doing it, it's just like a very odd like life experience that I'm sure many of us have had and it's just like it's it'll never be easy for anybody but things like this make you feel a little bit more seen like okay well I'm not the only one that's had to like have that very awkward conversation and like force yeah. a parent to do something they don't want to do but you know is like in their best interest like Boy, oh boy, that's a fun part of growing up. <laughs> well, and I think the relationship of parents also becomes complex and parents and caregiving. And I think it, oh, yeah. it's something that hits in this film. And we, I, I don't know if we said it explicitly in talking about Sarah, but, you know, folks who don't have kids, you know, what is the one thing that you hear people say well don't you you know you gotta have kids because you need to have someone to take care of you take care of you fuck you (laughs) sorry yeah and it's you know that's uh, no reading to have like little servants to take care of us when we're older like ew (laughs) but like i think that there's also this you know sarah being queer um you know yeah she's gonna have a child don't know um it's not hit upon we don't know how old she is but you know she's older too so it's being someone with a disability uh, I can't have kids so uh you know it's just kind of like well that's 
that's the that's the shakes and I have to figure it out um but I, something you mentioned earlier is like we just don't think about community and I think that's the thing yeah. it's like we don't we are such like a patriarchal like family like family focused society that we don't like fully appreciate like you can have very good people in your life who are not blood related to you who will take care of you like community is is just as important as family finding people and like maybe you have a loved one who'll care for you or a really good friend like I just like it's like oh you don't have kids you're gonna die alone it's like no like there's so many other things in this world that and so many different kinds of people and relationships that can care for you that matter and again like we don't we don't as a society take community like as seriously as we should as like a resource yeah no that's I think so fair and it is something you know I think especially folks who are dealing with a disease or condition whether it's something that they've had yeah whether it's something that they're just diagnosed with um you know having to reconcile like if you don't have you know it's the idea that that family that's the the part of it that's kind of like the contract that you enter into by exiting a womb is like okay so now this is a task and and it it's a struggle because like we talked about with difficult <laughs> relationships, family relationships, um, and feeling that obligation, um, and the challenges with that. Um, it's what feeds into some of those complex caregiver emotions of resentment, of like yeah. I didn't I <laughs> I had to. I didn't up sign that. up for this. Yeah, like uh, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I and you know I. It's just it's something, you know. I think about now that I'm in my forties, and like life expectancy for folks with my condition, depending on like lots of other factors, um, you know, is usually around like. 50 55 and so um you know I've got a cat and we have training time to be like if I die I want you to consume my flesh bit by bit so that you can be sustained and within a certain amount of time someone will come they will rescue you and there will you be will carry on my legacy with me inside of you giving yeah. you energy you will carry on my legacy I will continue <laughs> to sustain you and we will live on you'll become a laying in bed cat. with your cat just like remember you have to eat me and then you will be rescued and I will be part of you forever and I love you good night <laughs> just yeah, kiss them like, on the forehead start... and then go to bed yeah and like start with some of the leaner pieces because that stuff is going to break down sooner so you start here and then you go here and, you know, ration. I'm like four foot eight. It's like, come on, you got a ration. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're four, you're four foot eight. Yeah. Like you okay. Yeah, they do have to ration. Yeah. Like this isn't <laughs> a case of fancy feast. Like 
you got like in I don't know like I can't yeah. promise you viable organs for feasting because who knows yeah. what the decomposition is yeah. like I'm the also, muscle you gotta go for the muscles I think is yeah. the best way to go she can't she has no thumbs she can't turn on like the AC to like oh, true. everything is chilled um she can't bring in like ice so we're just going through a process we're building out plans um i love i love a family with a plan yeah i love a family with a plan <laughs> it's a beautiful time um for both of us and yeah but you know i think these films especially when you're dealing with you know impacts of aging it is yeah. something that you're like okay so we're having conversations about mortality and and how we are looking at you know end of life one comment that is made in the film by Harris and obviously I think Harris has his own motives in saying this but (laughs) he you know says well um you just want to put her in a home we're just gonna you know yep and I think that they're in talking about like caregiver responsibilities and obligations sometimes like i understand that aging in place aging at home um independent living these are all important and should be prioritized but sometimes individuals need such special and focused care yeah that assisted living nursing homes these types of things are the most appropriate safe setting can we also talk about how fucking expensive they are and how they make it nigh impossible for most people to afford that and then therefore like that's a whole again that's a whole other fucking conversation but like i get my grandparents are like making plans about what they're doing for aging and they were talking about how much this like assisted living place costs i was like are you joking right now i was like i'm like you know we want to if you're People are like, oh, you're just going to put them in a home. I'm like, on what payment plan, babe? Like, on what payment plan are we putting this person in a home? And it's just, like, this shame around it. And it's like, yeah, I understand that people can be really shitty and do that. But I also, like, maybe they're not a medical professional and, like, they don't have the capacity, like you're saying, to take care of somebody. And there, again, there's so much shame around aging and the caring process. And it's like, they want to, it's like, you should hide it at home and keep it to yourself. And it's like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like yeah. maybe there again, and I also just think there is this weird again. This movie, it's like, and with with his character being like Harris's character being like, don't let them film, and like they're getting money for the filming, and like they're getting medical assistance, and that's why she's doing it because they are running out of money to take care of her. Yeah, and like because caregiving is so expensive. Like even if you are a care the caregiver, you still have to go to doctor's appointments. Like you still yep. need to have someone like. You need to get medication that might not be covered by insurance or you have to jump through hoops to get like you might need an at-home nurse to come do things like yeah and if you have to work and if you are yeah exactly like what job yeah (laughs) you're gonna exactly like you do have to have someone come in um or figure out like how do I balance that work so I have a paycheck to pay for the out-of-pocket things that I have to pay for um but I also need to provide this care. Like, how do I 
Like, how do you sew that together? How do you juggle it and make it work? And it's such a struggle. And I understand that, you know, if we did have a better, I think, cultural and social and structural supports for aging and caring, this conversation would be a lot different. But that's not the reality. And so we have to look at realities. And yeah, sometimes, you know, those those avenues are what's proper. And we need to be able to also have a conversation in those situations with how do we support a caregiver in that process? What information are we providing them? What guidance, what support? So that do you feel- provide support to caregivers? Is that part of your, your yep. profession is like you provide? Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. And so we talk a lot about that of, you know, what, how do we support a family caregiver who's like, okay, well, we can't, this isn't feasible. This isn't something oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. that we're able to do. Um, You know, we support family caregivers across the lifespan. So, you know, it's caring for, you know, that child that's been born with significant healthcare challenges, caring for that older loved one and caring for them across different settings because you're still a caregiver when your loved one is in a different setting oh my god yeah so it's it's all complex and and i do it it, i understand what the root of those comments of you can't put her in a home you can't the framing of that is not creating any support for the person not solving a problem <laughs> or the caregiver let's yeah start figuring out well okay instead of saying no what are our options um how do we explore that um so it's yeah. all interesting but and i like you said this film really does heap its plate with everything and somehow it comes together um not everybody is going to be perfect um but it comes together and i really appreciate that and i i would assume that part of the reason is because it does come from a personal place from the filmmaker yeah yeah i agree i think it it's messy but like i like that it's messy i think it's a movie that isn't trying that's trying to show that chaos and that messiness and Again, in a, t- a 2014 found footage movie doing all this stuff, it's pretty impressive. And again, we have that incredible shot. There's an incredible, great, scary moment that has it as iconic with her, with her unhinged jaw as she's like turning into a snake. <laughs> and consuming a child. And consuming a child. But like the rest of the movie is also just as cool. It's not, you know, there isn't that visual, but it's also just as, just as good to watch and experience. Yeah. <laughs> with I mean, that it, payoff it, too, yeah. Yeah, and like the body horror aspects of it are interesting. Um, Very exorcist to me when they have like the spinal tap and like the medicalization of the female body as people talk about and just like watching her in pain at the doctor. And it's like, I know why we have those scenes, but oh, I also hate needles. Um, But like, you know, just watching her go through all of these 
painful experience? Is it just like the exorcist when Reagan's going through, like, you know, they give her, they put that tube in her throat and the blood squirts out of it and she's screaming in pain. And it's just like, it's a little bit, like a little bit like, okay, we get it, but I get why they had it, but it is very much just like, look how hard medical procedures are on the body kind of thing too. Well, and the exorcist is such a wonderful comparison because you have individuals that in those scenes have no say of what's Mm -hmm. happening to them and they may not have that full understanding reagan's a kid yeah she doesn't understand you know like what is going on to her body like it's fine your mom my mom your mom said it's fine so just like go with it yeah, and you see just the horrified. Uh, she's crying every time she's in the hospital. She's always crying or upset, and it's just like heart wrenching. And yeah. I know, like, and it's like, and we have this with Deborah where she's getting a spinal tap and is like sobbing, and you're like, God, fucking. Damn oh, it. and it's just and that it's one. So sad, her face, and you're just like, I hate every second of this, and because it's just like. And I think because it feels so real, you're like, I don't want to watch this. Like, this is, like, I don't, and again, the found footage, I think, lends to, like, I shouldn't be in this room. Like, I should not be privy to this private moment of, like, pain. Like, I shouldn't be allowed access to this. Yeah, that's fucking rough. Yeah, and that, like you said, that's kind of where it, you know, when we think about the exploitative nature of, like, some of these shows that talk about a certain condition um or put folks in a, that kind of medical lens um it does feel very invasive um and like you said we shouldn't be there um yeah. you know you want to be like oh i it, i know hipaa <laughs> do you know HIPAA? Well, and that's why there's like parts of it that always like of this movie with the um the camera in her bedroom and i again it's like on one hand i understand you want because she is she, she'll wake up and sleepwalk and you won't know where she is you need that monitoring but then at the same time it's like it feels so creepy to watch like we only watch her sleeping and again i understand it's a safety thing but there is that invasiveness of of the of the camera that is it's a little bit icky and yeah. i think it is interesting to kind of reckon with that in terms of like, oh, it's weird watching her sleep. And I know why we need to, but like something about it just feels like I shouldn't be here kind of situation. Yeah, but. for sure. <laughs> but I think, again, it just adds to that messiness of where do I assert myself and say, yeah. you know, this is what we need to do versus, yeah, um, you know what, this is what you want and this is what we're going to do. Because that's also, I've done a lot of trainings around shared decision-making. And especially when a person gets a diagnosis of, let's say, like a cancer and it's progressed and you're making decisions around what kind of treatments or interventions you're going to go down the path of. One of the things that we always emphasize is that one of the options is none, is that we're not doing anything. We're not doing a surgery. We're not doing uh, chemo, more chemo or radiation, um, whatever yeah. the case may be, because of, you know, it's about understanding what your loved one wants, what their goals are. 
um, and building your plan to that end. And so even if it's something like, if if you may hate it, you may say, no, let's do four more rounds of this. And if your loved one is saying, well, no, they have the right to say that. And as a caregiver, you have to hopefully be in support and be an advocate for them in that space. But when you're dealing with conditions where uh, decision-making <laughs> and things like that um, are impaired, then it becomes a whole kind of different messy layer of how can I still respect this, but know that I have to make these choices and am I making the right choice for my loved one? Because I don't, I I feel like I'm not getting their input and their say in a way that makes me feel secure in that. So it's, and I I like, I just love that this film really does sprinkle it all in. It does. Yeah. It tries to be very authentic to that experience. And I think it's, it's really successful in that regard, I think. Yeah. All right. So anything else as we wrap up talking about this film, anything and kind of closing up that you're like, oh, I wanted to mention this or this was something really interesting. I don't think so. I think we mentioned, I think the last thing I mentioned when it was like, <laughs> we are all so scared of aging and have not being able-bodied that we are willing to kill and eat young girls is just like, I think so indicative about our own attitudes about aging. Yeah. And not being able-bodied in our society. It is just very fascinating. And again, I know that's like, he's the bad guy, but still, it's such a thing in horror. You know what I mean? This like trend of doing whatever it takes to not, to live forever. And Mm -hmm. anything that is such like a huge fear of humanity is like not being able, of of death and also of like not having an an able body. And I think it is so interesting how this movie kind of navigates that. No, you're exactly right. And I find it, you know, they're, you know, being immortal is obviously like trace that back to always. But I think now, especially kind of the, the framing of that has become so different in that it is looking specifically at aging. And it's not just, I want to live forever. I want to live forever and be young. I want to live forever and be, like you said, I want to not have this illness, this disability, those things. Um, So uh, (laughs) it's it's a different kind of framework because it's not just, you know, Dracula, um, I'm going to live forever. It's... No, I want to live forever in a very specific way. And have you seen have you seen my heart can't beat unless you tell it to? Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> it's amazing. I love that movie so much. Yeah. I just I literally just I was like, wait, you said vampires. And I was like, that's a really good movie about caregiving and vampirism anyway, but that's a whole other discussion. Right. And through a whole different aspect, sibling caregiving, which is yeah. big. Um as well so yeah this film uh 
complex, interesting, I think utilizes the found footage um, in a brilliant way to, I think, to, to bring it all together. I think it's the perfect mechanism to tell the story because I think it does make it so much more visceral. Um, so uh, definitely, I think a film that utilizes uh, a lot of the bells and whistles that you talked about and kind of going over what, you know, those key components of found footage can be uh, really effectively. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So that will do us for talking about the taking of Deborah Logan. Mary Beth, this has been so wonderful having you on. Um, Thank you for such... having me. This has been so lovely to talk about this movie and like make me love this movie even more and help work out some of my thoughts about it. It's I love just conversations like this that can help us process like what yeah. is happening with this movie? Okay, cool. Like I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also be able to, to, I mean, certainly some of the things that you, you brought up in, in some of the ways that different relationships are depicted or certain moments. I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize that. That's so interesting. Well, and it, it's so cool to hear your perspectives about like caregiving experiences and just like how this handles that in such a cool way. So it's yeah. just gonna be, it's gonna be. So um we talked a little bit. You've you've got a lot going on. Um, but where <laughs> where can people find you? Where can people kind of dig in to your world, your work? Yeah. Yeah, so you can find me. Um, I'm usually on Twitter at MB McAndrews, talking about found footage and all kinds of stuff. I talk about found footage a lot. And I'm also on Instagram at MB.McAndrews if you want to see me post pictures of my cats and behind the scenes photos of my upcoming movie, Bystanders. Um, that's in post production. I do not know when it is unleashing onto the world, but obviously follow me on social media for updates because that's all I'm going to be talking about for a long time. <laughs> um, I also co-host the Scarred for Life podcast, which I host with Terry Menard of Gaily Dreadful, where we interview people from all walks of horror life about the film that terrified them as a kid. Uh, so that's Scarred for Life. If you want to check it out, it's real fun. And then also obviously follow Dread Central at Dread Central and everything for all the cool things we're putting out, all the cool essays that we're publishing from some of the coolest writers around. I'm really proud of the work we're doing. So follow all those good things. Yay. Lots of good horror stuff all around. Awesome. Yeah. And all of that yeah. will be in the show notes. So be sure to, uh, you know, follow Mary Beth because I'm so excited for bystanders. Um, I love um, the things that you post, especially about found footage. I remember kind of losing my mind when you were talking about the uh, Grimace trend. Oh my God, the Grimace shake. I'm obsessed with the Grimace shake. I don't care. The TikTok Grimace shake trend was the best thing to ever happen. It is a found footage like concoction. I wrote many words about it for Dread Central. I'm fucking obsessed with it. It was so cool. I was like, fucking amazing what is happening <laughs> i shared it like when you would post things i would be like yes and i would share it with anyone on my little contact list be like please read this this is so interesting because yeah 
I'm not a big TikTok <laughs> person right now. My algorithm, um, I don't think, I think I follow maybe like one person, but I just always stick to like the for you um, section and it's mostly cats and um, uh -huh. medical shows. Um, I feel like I have consumed seasons of, I, they often don't name them in the comments so i don't know i think chicago <laughs> med and all of that so but yeah the grimace shake thing popped up and i was like what the hell is i this? have so many thoughts and feelings about found footage on tiktok but that's for another day yes. tiktok is really cool i tiktok i don't care what you say there's some really cool things on tiktok i will defend that that stupid app forever i don't care <laughs> I'm a no. shell. I'm a shell for TikTok. I don't care. Hey, I think it's a really interesting. You know, again, platform, platform in use. I think is the thing, and there are yes, people who exactly. are doing really brilliant, interesting things on TikTok, utilizing that platform specifically as it's designed to do cool things. So, I agree. Um, so. Yeah, make sure to follow Mary Beth. Uh, Fred Central is a, is a source, the source. Check it out. Um, lots of great recommendations, um, which is great because whenever I see a list pop up, I've seen maybe like 40 to 50%. And I now build my watch list exponentially. Um, and Scarf for Life is amazing. We all talk about like the horror films that, you know, kind of set us on our path of horror, things that horrified us and maybe uh, triggered uh, a lifelong battle of sleep tears. Um, and yeah, you and Terry are amazing. So links to that, check it all out. Um, yeah. And of course, if you want to, chat with me i am still on twitter x twixt um <laughs> what the fuck bodies, are we supposed to call it now exactly um at bodies war i uh am occasionally posting about my cat and uh podcast producer kubrick and um yeah um i'm also on blue sky um, I've made the trek that direction. Um, haven't posted a ton there, but you know, we're we're new, we're fresh, we're getting the hang, the vibe, and the feel of I it. I keep forgetting about blue sky and to use it. So yeah, <laughs> I it's I'm interested to see how it continues to kind of like build its audience and what it kind of become. Yeah. We'll see. So we'll see. Um, yeah. So all of that, and of course, email. Uh, love to hear uh, thoughts, opinions from folks. And if you have suggestions for films that you think would be interesting to cover, um, that's always great as well. So be in touch. And until next time. Scream Pod Squad.